0: Hi, and welcome to Walk on the Wild Side. I'm Crispin Baines, and I'm one of the founding members of the wild, and I'm your host for this show. So on this episode, we sit down in our studio in Soho in London with Stephen Johnston. Stephen's the co-founder of Aging 2.0, which is a global innovation platform for aging and senior care. He's also the founder of Fordcastle, an innovation consultancy, and a member of the Future Agenda, the world's largest open foresight initiative. He also serves on the board of Music and Memory, a New York nonprofit focused on improving the lives or the quality of life for older people. And he's co-author of Growth Champions, a book about sustainable corporate growth. He's got an MA in Economics from Cambridge University and an MBA from Harvard, where he was a Fulbright Scholar. Needless to say, Stephen's a bright chap. It's a great conversation with him. He's become a great friend of the wild. I hope you enjoy this. So without further ado... Great to be joined today by the one and only stephen johnston who 's the co founder of aging two point and and so much more. Uh, stephen and I have been great friends for a number of years now, and he was one of the uh, the pivotal per- people I met when i uh, when I personally decided I wanted to get involved in impact work within within ageing and, and, and changing ageism. And so um, you couldn't meet a more um, uh, connected uh, and good connector person than Stephen in our space. It's, it's remar- remarkable uh, what he's achieved um, uh, with the team at Ageing 2.0, and we're, we're going to hear all about that today and um, and some more cool projects that he's working on, uh, some of the key lessons learned, and uh, I think we'll, uh, we'll we'll find it's a enjoyable and inspiring conversation. Uh, so, Stephen, thank you for joining me. Thank you, uh, Crispin. It's a great pleasure to be here. So um, let's start at the beginning, why don't we? What's, what's your story? You know, you've, um, you've achieved so much in, in, in what feels like a relatively short period of time. And uh, I would say that you're, you're in some ways just at the start, um, uh, con- con- considering the, the potential that, that there is in front of you. But h- how did you get to be, to, to be at this point?
1: Right, well, thank you, and I appreciate you doing this. I think it's a really important uh, role for, uh, for the space to have these sort of positive messages um, being articulated because it really is about a change of attitude to ageing, and that's really what I got excited about probably eight years ago, 2011, 2012, back in New York. Um, and I'd come out of a uh, time at Nokia. Where I'd been working on mobile tech and healthcare, and started to sort of see the potential for mobile to really improve the lives of people um, across the world, uh, in healthcare in particular, and ended up working on a dermatology startup with a, a, uh, a dermatologist in New York. And we were having um, a lot of interesting conversations. But then he said to me that one of his clients had actually got dementia uh, diagnosis. Um, he was happened to be a billionaire. And they were putting together a, a research project to try to find a cure for this. And so I actually got brought in to this very interesting project uh, called the Tower Consortium, um, which was about finding the best researchers in dementia. Not something that I was familiar with, but the idea of building a global project, um, an innovation project to find talent and to find great uh, ideas to help improve the life of somebody with dementia sort of got started then and uh we had a really interesting couple of years finding talented researchers and connecting them with um to try and solve uh, this individuals uh, trying to cure for this individuals dementia um it helped him live longer but it also gave me the idea when the wife uh, of this individual was complaining that the products and services weren't there for people with dementia and caregivers um, were just sort of being ignored by Mm. the innovation world. And I frankly was a little bit disappointed by that, a bit embarrassed as a tech innovator that hadn't really been thinking about the aging space at all. And just sort of spent time speaking to people, understanding a bit more about the topic and very quickly realized that there's this huge opportunity to do something really meaningful. If we could bring some of the innovation, the technology, some of the best ideas that were out there, that the Silicon Valley and all the Startup kids were kind of changing the world, but actually let them let them focus on changing some, you know, their quality of life for older people and the the, the conversation around aging. And so, started a very organically with sort of coffees and conversations and interviews and blogs with people who were interest doing interesting things. And the space they were all sort of pointing at each other, and it was like when well, you speak to them, you speak to them. And in the end, there weren't that many people who are working on innovation in aging. And so we just created, uh, I sort of teamed up with a co-founder and created a uh, a chapter model. So we would just bring together people in different cities and have conversations with them. And we were really f- focused on trying to find innovators. Uh, who are those people? Who are the tech innovators? Who are the people with the big ideas working in aging? Because we felt that they really needed support and help. And then the f- next thing was trying to, Cross over the silos, because you know you've you've obviously seen this already in your your explorations, but there's so many fiefdoms there's so many people who have their own ideas about what we need to do, and with aging it's such a holistic topic. it really is about the whole of life right It's not just about medical conditions of all people the 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 approach that I think we are really seeing this mega shift is towards thinking about the life course, thinking about intergenerational. Experiences and how you design society for when you're young, so that when that old, that person is older, then it's a, a much better uh, place to live. And so that's what we started out doing: creating a social dynamic, basically a movement. Frankly, mm. you know, we, we we sort of joked uh, in, the, in the beginning that we're trying to make aging sexy. You know, it was like mm. a little bit of a. You know, it was a bit uh, glib, but the whole idea was let's get some exciting talent that wasn't in the aging space before, that wasn't um, necessarily having had the experience of working in nursing homes or working in long term care, but wanted to change the world. And frankly, the millennials who've been given a bad rap by a lot of people, um, I think, were you know the ones who stepped up and said, "Look, we are going to be using our skills, our technologies, and our big ideas to change the world, make it a better place for." people who are older now but also for all of us as we we get older so that was really the genesis now as i say back in 2012 we probably had our first event and then in new york and then since then we went around buying you know beer from the local store and you know hosting impacted crisps and stuff and then it sort of picked up and then people said hey i'll I'll help i'll help so we've now picked up uh this week i think is a great week to do this because we're going to be reaching our 100th Chapter of uh, volunteer-organised chapters in uh, so 100 cities in 27 countries. Fantastic. Of people who've actually said, you know, I'm going to make a difference in my town or my city, and so their job is very simple: it's to be the local innovation hub. And you, Chris,man have done a great job in New York, and this is one of the things, one of your, you know, many hats, and that's sort of how you start to build a community is from the bottom up. And mm-hmm. so these chapter ambassadors, they have monthly or quarterly events and. Cross the silos and 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 make heroes of the innovation, uh, the people with big ideas, the uh, the tech innovators who are not otherwise given a lot of help. It's right. quite a lonely uh, position out there to be a startup, um, especially a startup in a sort of slightly uncool or sort of an area that isn't really on the top of the the lips of uh, of most people. And so we're trying to give them introductions to capital. We're trying introductions to customers. Researchers uh, and most of all, uh, access to older people themselves. It's often quite hard mm. for them to find access to this whole broad range of of people and inputs that they need. And so that's really been the genesis uh, of Aging Two Point and, and, and since then it's been a we've evolved in, in multiple ways. But that's really the the starting point.
0: It's been a phenomenal journey, and, and, and as you mentioned, I've I've really enjoyed taking part in helping the New York chapter when I first you know approached the space myself and I was trying to work out who's who in the zoo and and what I want what do I want to be when I grow up in in aging and you know since then we've we've come along and uh, and developed the wild and 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 it's, it's a great um concept and project that we're um busy working on now and fits 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 closer with aging 2.0 but um, I would encourage anybody that's interested in this space um in 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 varying degrees Um, to contact Ageing 2.0 at the local chapter level or at the national level. And it really is a place where you, if you're interested in ageing or innovation in ageing... uh remotely interested or or already working on something or perhaps interested in on the, on the capital side or or an older person themselves that um, wants to engage with an innovation community that's really coming up with um products and services that can enhance all of our lives than aging 2.0 is where it's at and the growth 100 chapters speaks to the prescience of it and um so so looking forward, what, what does the future look like for Aging 2.0? It seems like you've built this amazing community. A hundred chapters is incredible. Where do we go from here?
1: So we've got this, as you say, really interesting um, platform uh, opportunity right now, which is we've built a lot of local talent, a lot of local um, uh, activities that are happening around the world. And so what we're trying to do now is connect them all and actually create a a, a joined-up approach because one of the things that we consistently come across and and, and with challenges with all of the innovators that we work with is it's such a fragmented space, as I I mentioned before. And so what we've done uh, just in the last uh, year or so is team up with a a, a fantastic technology team uh, that has been spun out of the World Economic Forum called Shapeable. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're used to build some of the big tech products for the Davos crowd. And we've worked with them on a joint venture to build something called the Collective. And the Collective is really our effort to connect the global chapters, the intelligence from all around the world, to focus it, to have more wood behind a few arrows, if you like. So it's a, it's a platform for collective intelligence and collaborative action. And essentially... The simplest way to think about it is a, is a matchmaking an innovation matchmaking platform so we're building up insights of what's happening around the world we're building up stakeholder profiles so that you can see which companies are doing interesting projects um so a bit like sort of the tech crunch or the sort of the crunch base sort of model there um and then we have something called impact stories which is sort of case studies and this is the missing part which is so interesting is to actually say okay rather than just a profile of a company, rather than just a story about what's happened, let's have a case study of impact and let's actually start to not just create a narrative, which is really important, but a narrative that's based on a data model that we can actually start to use to scale up and connect other people who are doing similar things around the world. And this is what I'm most excited about. And it's at this stage where we just built the tech, tech platform. Uh, we're now in the process of scaling it up and we adding content to it, adding stakeholders to it, adding articles to it, and most of all adding these impact stories. And that's the real test, I think, of any real transition of the aging space to something that goes from a feel-good community of people who are trying to do the right thing Mm -hmm. to turn that into an innovation platform. And that means if we can actually find what works and then scale up what works Mm -hmm. to make a measurable impact, we'll be able to say that we've really moved the needle. So, for example, one of the companies um, that we uh, that I, I met recently at a, a SOMPO, which is one of our partners, they had a pitch event in New York, uh, they're a Japanese insurance company, and they were looking for interesting talent. You know, the pitch event is a fairly um, standard way to do it. It's, it's a good way to, to meet startup companies. The one that won is a, a little company out of uh, Texas called Zibrio, uh, they have a, a smart scale, so they have a little device that you stand on, and then it gives you a score, it gives you a balance score as to you know how uh, how good you are balancing. You can kind of fake it for the first thirty seconds, but if you stay on this thing for for sixty seconds, it is actually a pretty accurate um, depiction of your of your balance. And so this score is actually a very motivating score that people can get very simple uh, feedback um, and understand as they do strength exercises, as they do balance exercises, to increase their their balance, increase their stability, is the perfect feedback loop for mobility and movement, which is one of our uh, grand challenges. Mm. We've got these eight big topics that we're working on. And this is really central, this idea of um, getting people stronger and getting people instant access. So it's not some person with a lab coat and some obscure test. It's so you can do this every day and you can measure... And they're finding that in the test they did in uh, a couple of assisted living uh places they got fifty percent reduction in falls uh through the wow. exercise here. And so that that actually, given that it's about an average of thirty thousand dollar uh impact of a fall in terms of healthcare costs and all mm. all the rest, and it's one of the biggest uh healthcare cost drivers uh, mm. across the world, that being able to quickly look at a platform and say, show me companies that mm. are making a tangible impact in something that I'm interested in, like falls or engagement or um, helping people to help families to connect more effectively mm-hmm. with their, uh, with people in care and other families who are working on, who are, who are cha- faced with uh, similar challenges. Mm-hmm. This is something that hasn't happened before. And I right. think if we can start to bring together those stories, you start to develop an index, the ability to say, We're here, but we need to be up here. And who's good? And it might be that we're at the top and we can then grow and scale our solution elsewhere. But if we're not, we can actually see where we are. And this this applies for a provider who is an independent living company or an assisted living or a hospital system or or a town who's maybe challenged with uh, engagement challenges or people being lonely. And I say, how do you quickly filter through the world's... Collection of useful insights about how to make your situation improve right that doesn't exist, and this is something that we as an ambitious goal because essentially what we're trying to do is catalog the world's information regarding innovation and aging, and then once people find out things that are interesting and they find a a partner of innovation with them, then let them connect and I think that's going to be the future, which is actually more than just conversations which are very important. But you need to take those conversations, structure them, and then help people connect and then that way we're going to actually get what I think would be a real meaning impact impact against some of these these grand challenges that we're working on.
0: yeah, no, I think it's great it's obviously a journey in 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 the in the first round you have to create the community and bring people together and which you've done very effectively and then you have to optimize it. Um, which is also the name of your annual conference Mm. I think that's the stage you're at now so let's say the collective is you you put it together what would you say success looks like with that model?
1: Mm. Good thing and the bad thing about ageing is that it's so broad and so there's so many opportunities for improvement Uh, if you ask you've got you know, number of different guests coming on over the uh, in your show, you ask each of them what successful aging looks like. I suspect that they might define it differently mm-hmm. and have different metrics, and that's fine because I think we all understand that aging is about the course of life. Aging is about individuals having their own purpose and evolving to the meet the. Um, I think you you talk about this nicely in, in, in your uh, in the wild, which is sort of elevating people up the sort of Maslow's hierarchy, right, and and Chick Conley talks about this with with Peak and others, but this idea of giving individuals the ability to be the best they can be and to elevate their purpose. And that might be that somebody who is already in a wheelchair, who has some chronic conditions, just happens to be able to get to Italy next year to see their daughter get married. Mm -hmm. Or it might be that somebody wins the marathon for the over uh, whatever age group. Everybody's goals are going to be different. So it's quite hard to collectively say what successful aging looks like um, and the way that we approached it is to say look let's take a step back and think broadly across the aging topics what are the sort of the common themes and you'll find similar models similar frameworks for example the age-friendly group uh, the age-friendly program out of the world health organization started by alex Karachi and um, louise Plouf in, from canada Created this sort of eight-phase program for healthy aging and uh, allowing people to, allowing communities to understand what sort of topics they should be working mm. on about sort of social connection, mobility, transportation, um, purpose, etc. And so we've sort of developed our grand challenges to have you know similar themes. I'd say slightly more you know upbeat in, and tech-forward than perhaps some of the discussions that have been happening in the World Health organization, which tend to be a lot about sort of community engagement, which is super important, but we want to also bring in the tech scalable mm-hmm. aspect of let's build solutions and have them scale. And so for me, the answer is when we've made meaningful impact against all of these different challenges, when we've decided, for example, the first stage, and that's what we still in the process of what is successful engagement and purpose, mobility and movement, how do we measure that and each of the each of the challenges, care coordination, financial wellness, better end of life care. Um, if you go to our website agentu dot slash grand challenges, they're all there, and you can see where we've got to so far. Great. The goal is to be able to articulate all of those, and then to identify what those metrics look like, and then to bring together those innovators that are that are making a difference. So in in a five years time. We will have there'll be a process component. We will have you know X, you know probably thousands of stakeholders in the platform. We've we'll we've got 100 chapters now. Let's have 500 chapters in five years' time, but actually let's have meaningful measurements against each of these grand challenge areas. And they will have to check back with me in a year or two once we've really articulated those, identified clear metrics for success, and then made progress against them.
0: That's great. It's going to be exciting to watch it unfold. And so, um, how do you? make sure that the actual demographic is represented how are you you know i've been to a number of um of, of pitch events not necessarily aging 2.0 events where you know there's lots of energy but you know typically it, it, it's relatively younger people who are you know trying to design meaningfully trying to design solutions for older people and i think that um, often there's a um uh, a bit of a gap um, when you don't have the actual demographic represented? I know this is something that's very mm. close to your heart in terms of you know, getting it right, but how do you approach Shadow Ageing 2.0? That's a great question and something that we we do take super
1: seriously because there is a tendency for all of us to get excited about the new shiny thing. And especially when it comes to to, to techies and tech innovators, it is often the... Model that um, you develop this sort of widget or this gadget, and then somehow you're solving these these major problems, and it makes a lot of sense because that's under your control. You can develop your own app or your service or your your black box. But what we found, and it's sort of illustrated, I think, most effectively um, by our um, June Fisher, who we both know, and mm-hmm. uh, she's a a real live wire. AT uh, something year old young um uh ex uh worked as a doctor and a designer um and has been really focused on population health um and heard about what we we're doing when we we're based in san francisco and came in to our offices you know on her walkers you know not particularly mobile um doing but she's she's got these sort of ski ski poles and said hey don't design stuff and don't talk about products uh for me without having me in the room so it's like not not about me without me kind of thing it's a Mm -hmm. disability message and that's been a really important message and so we've sort of then created and try to um develop this thinking into what we call a chief elder officer program ceo and we've got a number of older people who sort of have been given this title which is a a sort of bit of an honorific we we uh, use it to give them you know a sense of um to indicate that we're sort of taking them seriously and having them um given a, a role in a business card but more importantly to kind of have their voice at the table to be able to say when we're having pitch events always make sure for example every pitch event that we have the judges has to include at least one older person uh, we recommend with startups and in uh, providers in the network, um, that they involve uh, older people as chief elder officers as well. A number of companies are, are doing that, and um, it's a, it's a mindset thing. I think it mm. has to kind of it's easy to get carried away, um, and we all do that. Um, and a lot of the time, we end up sort of building things without really validating them with the with the end users. So. That, I think, is part of it. So it's, it's getting them early in terms of articulating the challenges. In our Greenwich, um, Connecticut chapter, we just had a really nice uh, storytelling evening where older people were invited to come up and present their tales of their lives and the stories. And there's some fascinating stories. And you can then sort of piece together insights about what uh, people needed and potentially what opportunities were for innovation by hearing new stories. Mm. And so you sort of bring them in early to articulate the, the problems, and then you go back to them and uh, or have them on your team to develop concepts and to have test um, opportunities. And so we created this concept called uh, Coffee and Clicks, mm-hmm. where we would bring a group of people together um, into, uh, we did this at, uh, at Senior Planet in New York, actually, um, quite effectively, uh, a group of about 10, Older adults and then group about five startups, and they sort of spend the morning uh, presenting um, their ideas and then having feedback and, and sort of iterating a little bit. And then the sort of the third phase is when you can actually identify distribution channels, because a lot of the time it's quite hard to get older people uh, access to older people in terms of in the community. And um, there are, I think, big opportunities to. Um, sort of unleash the power of the longevity economy as the uh, or the silver economy is the, the phrase you go by somebody making it easier for people to access um people living for example in their homes who don 't even know that these products exist, and mm. so there 's multiple different ways in which we can start to bring in um, the insights and the wisdom and the power uh, of older people and as Laura Carsonson says is you know, older people are the assets that is, um, the older, the, the only assets that is, uh, continuing to grow. Mm. And it's something that we sort of take, uh, take to heart.
0: You're, you're absolutely right. And, and ultimately we're all stakeholders, aren't we? In, in, you know, designing and building a better future where we can, um, we can, um, age better. And so, um, before I switch tax on aging 2.0, what, what are your, what are you most proud of? And, and, um, and also, how has it made you think differently about your own longevity and approach?
1: Yeah, so I think the uh, the goal uh, that we have, as I say, is to address these challenges. And I think we are we we're, we're at the stage where we're sort of still more in the process than the impact in terms of being able to really articulate what the uh, the results have been. It's a lot of anecdotal impact, but mm. I sort of. I was at this um, walking down the street the other day in San Francisco, and one of the uh was a professor on a university that I presented to uh, a couple of years ago. Sort of came up to me and gave me a big hug, and they said, "Stephen, it's great to see you. You know, you gave this presentation where you suggested our state is going to become and it had the potential to become a real aging living. And We took that to heart, and so they actually have like created a a, a committee." Uh, in uh, with the university, and then with some uh, students, and with some um, uh, innovators, and some co- uh, corporates, and they actually raised um, a grant. so They raised uh, several million dollars in grant funding to kind of pay for funding to support an intergenerational innovation hub and um, activities to support uh, innovation and aging things that we hadn't I hadn't heard about before. That sort of conversation on mm-hmm. the street, and this was just it was that little snippet and that vignette of saying, "Oh, actually." We've now gone off and built something um, based on uh, you know sort of the energy and the enthusiasm for bringing the people together that we did with the Aging 2.0 event. So I think that's that's sort of exciting and for me validating. And mm. and this there's a bit of competition, which you know, which chapter is going to be our hundredth chapter, and I'm quite excited. That's going to be a big moment um, because they're all energetic, and they're all excited.
0: So sort of this idea. of creating a global community uh, is extremely rewarding. Mm. And, and one last question. And how does the investment landscape look in, in in the aging space? If I was an investor that wanted to deploy capital in a meaningful way, um, what's the current uh, landscape look like?
1: I think it's a really interesting opportunity. It's still probably quite early in terms of the tech and services. Most mm. of the investment capital... Is still around real estate and buildings, and I think we're seeing quite a few of the sort of savvy building operators start to realize that their future is more than just as the unpleasant quote goes, sort of heads and beds, you know, or heads, and it's actually mm. much more about the services and the experiences. And sort of, I just got back from um, British Columbia, I was in Victoria and Vancouver, and a number of the independent living operators there were talking. Really, in a much more elevated way, I think about you know hospitality experiences that they are um, looking to emulate and and doing. I think some of the sort of similar language that I think the more for you know the the sort of forward thinking operators are doing, and I think that you and the Wilder are are doing, which is sort of creating a uh, set of experiences that differentiate themselves. And so we're starting to see some. Um, capital deployed into some of these services. I think right now there's sort of capital in real estate, capital in the sort of the slightly more traditional sort of health tech um, platform services such as uh, care-matching platforms right. like Honor or Carelinks, for example, that have raised a decent amount of capital. Um, and I think there's a third area which is just emerging, which is sort of this idea of these sort of positive in healthy aging um, experiences, which are often quite hard to discern. And I think that's one of the challenges in any investment discussion is that definitions are a little challenging. And I think the more effective products that we see tend not to be marketed as such. The, uh, there aren't that many. There was you know, a, um, uh, a, f- there's a few services like um, a Great Call, which is a- an easy-to-use phone, which mm. has a connected service. That was recently bought by Best Buy for 800 million, but we still—I'd say most of the um, successful capital is coming through things that just happen to be well designed, mm-hmm. and um, whether it's Apple iPads or um, Ford Focuses, there's sort of products and services that are, are being bought in great numbers mm-hmm. that are not—they don't have a big sort of aging um, tag on them. And so I think that's part of the opportunity and the challenge for this space is to rebrand and create a more sort of positive. Experience instead of narratives mm-hmm. that actually then attract capital. Um, and I think we'll see that more and more as people sort of find ways to create services that happen to be useful uh, and uh, picked up and enjoyed by um, older generations but are generally intergenerational. I mean, right. I think smart wearables um, is going to be one area of the smart house um, uh, products and services. We're going to see them more and more be... Um, thought of and understood as intergenerational, and not just for the the uh, sort of the young techies. And I think that's going to be an interesting opportunity. I think also mobility um, uh, services. I mean, it sort of seems a little far fetched, but I actually do believe that sort of uh, these new sort of e-scooters and the sort of mobili- micro mobility solutions are actually um, they're blazing away the right now. They're doing some, they're having some interesting regulatory challenges and topic uh, issues but actually if you think about one of the biggest topics that will improve the quality of life for older people will be to get out and and about and actually anecdotally there's a significant number of my friends and their uh, sort of older parents and relatives etc using e-bikes in a way Mm -hmm. that wasn't necessarily I think expected at the beginning so I think there are opportunities like that which have a blend of uh, particular applications for older Mm -hmm. people but are also See it as intergenerational opportunities,
0: right? That's great, and um, yeah, I th- I, in my experience in the New York chapter, there's more and more people coming from the investment side and focusing on the space. It's easy to get excited about the the demographics, but then you have really got to um, you know get in lane and really do, do a lot of due diligence um, before before jumping in. Yeah, um, I would
1: just add the um, I think there's an opportunity to for the Im- impact investing community, which mm-hmm. is you know, burgeoning and uh, finding a, sort of a lot of interest, attracting quite a lot of capital right now um, to sort of environmental and, and the social um, objectives. I think impact impacting ageing um, is an opportunity that is still a bit under, uh, under-recognized. under I know mm-hmm. there's a number of people raising capital for, for funds in this area um, but if I'm an impact investor I'm looking to make a difference with my capital, mm-hmm. then I can think of, you know, few you know, more uh, effective ways to do that than change the trajectory, for example, of a city that is you know, aging rapidly and struggling with healthcare care costs and struggling with mobility and isolation, thinking holistically about a problem and delivering uh, metrics that can improve uh, social and, frankly, also environmental goals, um, but also uh, potentially represent big business opportunities. So. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see the SOCAP conference for example in October in San Francisco um, have a track on aging or um, there's a conference here in Europe um, it's not yet on the radar mm-hmm. of the impact investors that I that I've sort of many of the impact investors I've, that I've spoken to but I think they're looking at it closely and so I think the the, the, th- the common theme for all these for investors is you know where's the talent pipeline like, do Correct. we have some good quality um, ideas and I think there's more and more out there and I think it's a question of connecting them and helping them sort of uh, all make sense of that, sort of working on similar topics and this Mm -hmm. is I think where we at Aging 2.0 can help bridge the gap between the uh, investors, the corporates and the startups.
0: No it's great I think you're right in the middle of it and at the wild, we're in the process of setting up a social impact fund to to, um, help our members to invest in this space and increasingly we're finding our members are Looking for pathways to purpose and turning success into significance, and not necessarily just through deploying capital, but also having the opportunity to, to sit on a board or represent a company or guide a company through the mentor program. So, mm. um, I think we'll see more of it, and um, it's great to be involved. So, let's just pan out a little bit and talk about aging and, and ageism, which is you know a subject that's you know very close to both of our hearts, and, and changing it is obviously why we're sat here and why we why we why we're devoting um, our our time to this space, but. Um, how do you see broadly? How do you see aging changing? And in, 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 other, in other words, how will the older people of the future be different from today? Um, and are there any implica- implications that you see for for our society, or and/or for people who are who want to operate in the space? It's a big question, but mm. I'm just trying to get a sense of any sort of macro things that you're seeing. The um
1: the World Health Organization has really done fantastic work, I think, in reframing the conversation around aging, and that has then been carried on, uh, been carried on by a number of different um, organisations. The Frameworks Institute, for example, has done some nice job around framing aging, um, and the way that World Health organisations sort of have tried to change the narrative from this somewhat. And I think Andrew Scott talks about this as well in his hundred year life, which is sort of from you know up and down and then you know you you're you're up and then you're out mm. um to this sort of constant um sort of reinvention and the possibility to essentially reduce this um rather you know unpleasant um decline that uh you know that that, that seems to be the current model and the assumption and so what the World Health Organization does with their aging and life course work is to say okay sure there are physical changes that happen and people will decline but if you have a right enabling environment the right context whether it's technology whether it's smart healthy age-friendly towns or whatever you can sort of basically arrest that decline and you can sort of move that angle down to uh you know or shift shift the uh shift the uh, the quality of life uh, line up um, and I think this gets into some really interesting ideas then if you just start to go okay well how can you start to make sure that line doesn't even go down in the first place and I think this is when if you really think about it technology, AI and the future of um, innovation can be really about giving people personalised predictive and proactive supports when they need it whether it's um, smart walkers or whether it's um, pills that they take um, the, th- the whole thing sort of starts to blend together in terms right. of improving the quality of life and I think the arrival of, of narratives that we're seeing already, Hollywood has actually done a pretty good job I think in, in articulating some some strong ideas and some strong messages um, about uh, older people um, creating the lives, that they, the lives that they want, and sort of living on their terms, whether it's sort of the, uh, films about bucket list or the best exotic marigold hotels or whatever mm. they are, is sort of giving people a different view into what it means to to age. And I think the innovation, the technology, the the, the wizardry and in, uh, in in the science can help to make part of that um, better by uh, essentially acting as a prosthetic Mm -hmm. um, and let's sort of, but it's actually the narratives and the stories of people who then have the advantages of um, the supports that they they might help them, it's going to be easier. So for example, there's a company called uh, Seismic um, out in San Francisco, which I've come to know, which has this. Beautiful smart suit, uh, mm. which is a bit like a sort of exoskeleton 2.0. It's it's not one of these big clunky robot um, things that just looks like a sort of undershirt, which has mm. sort of powered um, gears and uh, very, but it's very subtle um, uh, set of uh, technology to allow you, for example, to get up more easily or to prevent mm. you falling. And it starts to just be a really subtle um, prosthetic, as I said, to help. You sort of live your life on your terms. You don't then have to be making a fuss and sort of having oh dear, you know, difficult to get out of out of a chair. You just um, erase those barriers, and then you can sort of start to to to, uh, to live life on your terms. So I think technology's role will be there, um, but it's going to be the narratives of people doing interesting, exciting, world-changing things that will then change the. Overall uh, story about aging. I think many of the people that you are interviewing
0: on your podcast
1: uh, are at the forefront
0: of that. No, I think you're right. It's, um, you know, um, culture changes regulation, not the other way around. And and the way you change culture is by storytelling. That's certainly something we're trying to do. And hopefully by. Um, telling the you know people like yourself and, and other people who are working in the space or just doing cool stuff with their lives, you know the age becomes less of a marker, and that's what we want. We want it to be less relevant. You have to represent aging honestly. You have to design for it. I love the example of the, this the exoskeleton suit and this concept of stealth care, and you're know, bringing smart design thinking into your know, practical uses. Um, I think that's really cool, and, and that can um, help us to. To age better, or at least to continue to have independence and dignity as as we age, rather than this current social narrative, which I want to get into, uh, where you know at some point you you retire and then you're kind of sidelined and siloed into some you know medi- medicalized group, um, and and it's unfortunate that we've you know we've we've been allowed to or we've allowed ourselves to get to that. Um, and, and I guess where I'm going with this is um, a question around um, ageism. You know, it's, it's, it's perhaps the only ism that still exists. Um, you know, people are regularly discriminated against based on their age or perception of their age in, to, in today's society. And, and I know this is right at the heart of, of what's driving you to create change and certainly is at the wild. You know, our mission is let's make maturity aspirational on the subject of ageism and again it's a big topic I just wanted to get your, your viewpoint on it where are we at and, and what has to happen in your opinion to start to change this social narrative and and perhaps it's already starting to change
1: I think it is starting to change a little bit um, I think there's more that can be done through um, smart services and technology as a component but obviously you know that's just a, just a part of it but just one I think there's a company I think here in London um, called Applied, which has an anonymous um, matchmaking system for job applicants. You know, it's something simple like that, where you can articulate your skills and experiences in a way that doesn't necessarily put you in an age bucket. Yeah. And uh, they're finding some pretty impressive results in terms of the companies that uh, are using this to actually get better quality talent. And I think there's ways you know, you can imagine in the future something like a blockchain or some kind of anonymous sort of matchmaking mechanism that would identify your own unique skills. All of us have a bundle of skills. Um and if we think about sort of breaking down individuals into uh skills and component parts that may be more or less relevant for each of those jobs, um, it would be relatively easy to sort of find the most interesting um, quality talent for any particular role, if you had the ability to sort of break down people's um, talents and experiences away from just uh, their last job description mm-hmm. and, and their age, mm-hmm. uh, which I think does tend to sort of still be um, come with a certain stigma, come with a certain um, inertia that, pe- that people have around it. So I think there's a way in which some technologies can help um, to kind of just allow us to focus on the results and the talents and the things that actually matter. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it has to be political leadership. And I think there are clearly some distractions at our political level now, which yeah. are kind of taking away from some of the big challenges, whether it's climate change or global inequality or the sort of breakdown of the capitalist system. That, But I do think that aging and how we treat an aging population is up there in terms sure. of things that we need to devote our political capital uh towards because it is not about any particular age group it's about as i said building a society that works for all so i think if we can really in addition to some of these technology innovations bring a design sensibility Mm -hmm. uh, front and center so that for example um cities that are age friendly are designed for everybody i mean this is essentially things like curb cuts and Mm -hmm. uh, having more um uh, walkable or bikeable um, streets. I was just in Oslo a couple of weeks ago, and they've just introduced a uh, car-free city centre. And they did this. I was speaking with the uh, one of the people in the council. They actually did this in conjunction with the Age-Friendly you know, Oslo uh, initiative, and had older people sort of in their uh, sort of steering committee and uh, helping them to design what this will look like. and the reality is that then the result works better for everybody, and whether it's mobility issues or uh, the fact that when you remove cars, you have a 15% increase in the um, revenues of the stores in those in those uh, shop fronts um, that are that are no longer having people driving past is actually something that can. Uh, create benefits for, for everybody and so I think they have to be individual success stories um, but I think all of us have to take personal responsibility mm. um, because at the end of the day you know we all have biases and we mm. all have sort of default modes and so I think if we check you know, how we're sort of living our life on a daily basis um, the uh, the changes will add up
0: I think you're absolutely right you touch on all components of of, of the solution there absolutely has to be government and policy change absolutely has to be um, change at the corporate level, whether it's in policy or practice or a recognition of the different skills and attributes that life experience brings and how do you harness that, but also how do you um, allow for people who are living longer and some people will want to work more, some people will want to work less and some people will want to come in and out of work or maybe go and try sabbatical or um, go and learn new things. And so I think there's a responsibility at at those levels and ultimately we've all got an an individual responsibility as, as well and so just on that if if you were somebody who's you know mid 50s 60s who's perhaps feeling a little bit left behind now um and is thinking hang on i need to you know do some reengineering here because i've got another you know 30 perhaps 40 perhaps longer years of 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 health in front of me what would your advice be to to somebody who's sort sort of starting to feel a little bit left behind hmm.
1: i think it actually goes back to the previous point which is an individual responsibility we shouldn't be thinking about us and them and I think if we are are all in that same boat uh, older people whether they are 50, 60, 70 80, 90 are sort of in the the change group as well it's not something that they can point the finger and sort of say you guys need to to change Um, I think we all need to recognize that we have portfolio careers and portfolio lives even though we are maybe working for one employer uh, for, for many, many years. And so I think it does behoove us to get our finger on the pulse in terms of understanding what's happening, uh, what's coming next. And I don't think it, everybody has to go off and try and be a tech um, tech startup. I don't think that's really the, the path for for everyone, but there are some changes that are happening from a societal level that technology is influencing that are going to be Um, worth uh, taking account Uh, I was just working uh, recently with a big UK uh, company that's got uh, about 50,000 employees uh, of which many of them are sort of blue collar workers and there's a big challenge in terms of the whole reskilling piece where um, on the one hand there's actually some interesting opportunities that AI and others can give people sort of new superpower skills they didn't have before but it does require people getting to a level uh, of familiarity of understanding of sort of engagement with tech that they might not be naturally comfortable with, so I think it's sort of uh, I'm not saying this my own parents who you know in our sort of seventies and eighties and they are sort of really keen on learning and keen on jumping in and sort of understanding what these new things are that I've been talking about, even though they don't necessarily know exactly. What they're doing them for. So mm-hmm. sort of my dad the other day was like, "I okay, really need to uh, use Twitter more," and I was like, "Why?" And he's like, "Well, I don't know, but I feel I should." And there's something where it's just exploration for its own sake, where he doesn't sort of perhaps is not necessarily going to be a, a big tweeter and have thousands of followers, but there's just an idea that this is not just a privilege of the young to right. be part of, and certainly some of younger people. I think can sometimes dismiss uh, the benefits and insights and wisdom from older people when it comes to setting up their companies and creating um their sort of innovation projects and so I think if we had a mechanism to provide more intergenerational engagement uh, I mm-hmm. think is uh, super helpful I think our aging 2 chapters are we're seeing people come along um just to sort of have conversations understand what's out there offer to be a mentor offer to join a, a startup even though you might be like Chip Connolly was you know double the age of the the CEO um, it's about attitude it's about being involved and it's about not allowing us to think that that's somebody else's job.
0: Yeah I think you're right and it's all about how you approach it you have to approach it with a growth mindset and uh, as an older person um, or a younger person really it's about being Chip's really good at this uh, and he you says know, it's, it's about being as curious as, as you are wise and if you approach with that sort of growth mindset, then um, then good things can happen, you know. And you really want to get that intergenerational exchange. And I think there's a there's a bit of a groundswell now. People are starting to to warm up to that. That you know there's, there's there's you have different sets of skills when you with life experience, or they bring set sets of skills and outlook that are that are that are useful and they're being proven to be useful. If you read you know things like Mark Friedman's book. Um, Who's done a lot of work in, in helping companies and older people to um, re-engineer or have encore careers? Um, it's a, it's a great growing field, and I think just by those sort of stories, that's how you change ageism. Just by doing doing it, mm. and, and getting and and, and um, you know le- leading with or living with with purpose. Mm. Um,
1: We we just did a a project as I said for this uh, for UK company looking at the topic of learning and longevity, and it was really interesting to see some examples and some of the sort of insights that uh, people are working on. There's just a couple of um, trends or sort of uh, what we call intersections that we uh, identify, which I think are worth mentioning. One is uh, this idea of open loop learning, um, which is evolving this uh, sort of thinking from. Andrew Scott on the 100-Year Life. Um, Stanford has a program uh, called Open Loop Learning, and sort of this idea that you are constantly coming in and going out of sort of this sort of formal uh, education and, and not uh, having a beginning or an end um, but what uh, of your education, your training, um, but it also puts the onus on the employer to think of themselves as an education partner rather than just like scooping up the talent from the uh, institutional education, because a lot of people... Don't necessarily have access to institutional education or sort of high quality um, uh, tertiary education, but need to be thinking about developing their skills throughout their life. And so, the sort of the mindset um, I think is quite interesting. Uh, Singapore has just introduced uh, something called Skills Future, where they actually provide a uh, fund. Uh, a grant for every individual in Singapore um, to constantly uh, refresh and uh, learn and up, update their skills. Um, and it's something that I think all countries need to be thinking about is what's your individual learning policy and don't just outsource it to uh, to institutions or higher education and sort of kick people out in 22 and, and, and good luck. Mm-hmm. And then the other concept that intersection that we Looked at um was sort of what we called centaur skills, and so this idea of a centaur I think uh gary Kasparov when he he lost to big blue um uh, the chess right. machine was saying you know the future is when we combine humans and machines um it's going to be more effective, and that sort of has been i think some of the more interesting um game playing mm. uh, mechanics of being these centaurs, and I think this way in which we can start to change the um Expectations of machines um, to be a partner, to be a a prosthetic, to help Mm. you deliver your job more effectively. It's a different kind of job, um, but it's probably more interesting Mm. if you can actually have the menial stuff done um, by by the mechanic. I was actually, or the 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 digital side. Mm. I was reading in the paper recently about a, a council up in you know the middle of England. Which has had a rather uh, sort of describing somebody who's in his fifties, perhaps a, a rather tedious job. It was answering customer inquiries, mm-hmm. you know, on the website um, or on the telephone, and he would keep people waiting for for twenty minutes when they would go off and uh, to find the answer to some obscure drains problem or right. or, or, or the right way to handle the uh, environmental issue that they were been asked about, and then they introduced a. Um, Technology. I think it was by a company called Digital Genius out of uh, San Francisco, which was an AI-based sort of chatbot machine, basically. Which uh, crucially didn't just answer the questions, but provided insights and provided sort of smart, you know, answers ready to go Mm. that he could then click on. So he instantly became you know smarter, enjoyed his job more, Mm. had more insights, and it was of that idea of smart tech that wasn't requiring a massive shift for that individual. But he was open to it and changing, and he then had a much better experience of his job mm-hmm. using tech. So I think there are ways in which we can embrace um, these opportunities and embrace tech, but constantly be on the mindset, uh, a learning mindset, as, as Chip said, the uh, the curious mindset is is the way to go. Mm,
0: yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's um, and and you just maybe think of something else. And this is a slight, a slight digression, but are you in the live forever camp? Um, with technology enabled uh, or are you in the live for um, as long as is humanly possibly possible and as comfortable as possible camp
1: yeah it's it is a bit of a um it's two sets of camps but i think actually at the end of the day that they're, they're all kind of trying to do the, the the similar thing which is yeah. uh, have a better quality of life yeah at, at your age and i think I, i'm generally in the, in the latter i've always sort of um, more about quality of life. Um, frankly, from a capital raising perspective, it'd be quite nice if I was uh, pitching a, a pill to help you live uh, for another <laughs> yeah. few hundred years. Um, but I do think there are there's sort of well-meaning people. I think there's been a few sort of quite um, colourful commentators, um, perhaps in the in the life extension um, uh, sort of brigade, which has skewed the discussions a bit. But I think the the essential point which I completely agree is if you are you know 80 years old and you can have a context that makes you have the health challenges of a 60 year old then that doesn't sound like a bad thing and so it might be that the context is a smart home a more uh, sensible intelligently rooted bus service or a pill that makes your knees hurt less you know it, however the implementation is I think the the goal is somewhat similar and my focus has been more around the tech side of things and the context and the sort of how cities can can work better. Um, but I think there are m- many of the people, or most of the people that I've come across who are sort of in the biotech side are sort of a somewhat, you know, have a very similar view. And then there are others who I think are a bit more um, which frankly there's a lot of people like that who are very egotistical mm-hmm. and are looking to kind of have a sort of personal mission to live uh, forever, which I don't Share, but I do think there are some commonalities. There's, there's commonalities
0: with, with with both camps, right? Yeah. No, it's an interesting area, and always good for a, for a discussion. Um, I'm just going to pivot slightly and um, and get into design, and this is an area that we're that's very close to our heart of the wild. You know, we're trying to really think through the design of space and services and settings for um, uh, for new aging. Um, you know, we I think it's fair to to say that the the majority of people that went to Woodstock, for example, probably don't want to go to Florida to play golf in in their retirement, if indeed they're even going to retire. And you know, uh, just want to spend a bit of time talking about that and get your take on um, on on how the senior housing and care industry. Um, I don't particularly like the word senior, but nevertheless, how that industry um, needs to. Uh, adapt and change um, to harness this new customer horizon um, that's that's fast approaching. Um, what's the current status quo? How does it need to change? And what's what are some of the um, better, more progressive, perhaps examples of of um, of later life later life living um, settings that you've you've come across? Mm.
1: And one of the reasons why I'm excited about what you're doing, uh, Crispin is that I think the the message is, is starting to get through, but it's still relatively rare that you find it sort of front and center in today's seniors' housing. Is, is, um, I never know if it's senior or seniors, but I, both sort both of seem to work. Um, it's still quite rare to find people who are sort of design-centric in, in building um, products that are designed for inspiration and aspiration rather than security. In safety, and in uh, you know, Atul Gawande, who would be a great uh, podcast uh, guest if you could get him. I think mm-hmm. it's quite a busy job, but his his book um, "Being Mortal, is just a really beautifully describes some of the sort of essential or well, the essential um, dichotomy between uh, the children who are looking to for a safe and secure environment, you know, in quotes, sort of almost like. Um, uh, emphasizing security rather than comfort and experience, with the the person themselves, perhaps more interested in in um, the experience than in in living their life on their terms. And so we have this um, real attention, and I think we're st- we're starting to see some models that are evolving um, that I think are driven both by inspiring design forward leaders, but also by the market, you know, by as you say these these. Would stop going baby boomers who are saying, Sorry, this is not what I'm looking for in terms right. of my later life. So, for example, urban settings, I think we used to see these, um, you know, rather disconnected um, uh, groups of um, property development uh, developments way out in, you know, the Everglades or places that I think Phoenix has something like 1,500. Um, uh, properties within 30 miles from the city centre. I think I saw that stat recently. Um mm-hmm. and I think we're moving towards much more of a sort of an urban integrated model, um, in which is sort of part of that is also a sort of what I like to call a sort of porousness um with open walls. Um there's uh I think a group um ecumen um in the US uh there's an example of well, I think it's called Abitan in uh, Mill City where they have really made a big effort to have like a really nice community cafe and restaurant sort of in the building. Um, we have um, uh, models in, in Baltimore. I think Ryan Frederick is doing with his um, uh, model where he's installed later life uh, living above a, a Whole Foods to mm-hmm. allow people to mm-hmm. not to have to pay the, expensive overheads, which again, um, from an economic point of view, makes a ton of sense to sort of think about outsourcing, you know, food preparation, delivery to Whole Foods, you know, why not? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the sort of design forward piece, I think, is always it is also starting to, you know, become uh, something that people are sort of recognizing and having a um, the ability of sort of using products and services that don't look like they're... In a nursing home or a hospital right. is, is super important. And I think that more and more uh, people are, uh, are looking to the best practices and bespoke hospital, i mm-hmm. uh, oh, sorry, hospital, uh, uh, hotel, and hospitality environments. Mm-hmm. When we we saw that shift you know, 15, 20 years ago, probably the uh, W Hotel was probably the first sort of mass market boutique, if mm-hmm. you like. Um, and that sort of model has then and then in Chip the company's background as well, mm-hmm. um, so I think this idea of creating um, design, uh, like design-forward uh, properties is, is super interesting, um, but I think it's not just the products and services, it's also the designing the programming, right. and I think we've seen sort of, you know, the, uh, the cliched of sort of the bingo and other programming has sort of, has sort of given away way to uh, much more sort of cultural programming and people starting to sort of think about harnessing the talent. Uh, I was in, um, uh, in Brookdale. We had our first event probably 2012 in New York and they had, listening to our pitches, were three... Um, CEOs of major corporations who happened to be in their eighties and they provided such excellent feedback to mm-hmm. these uh startups. It was quite startling and, and we had a conversation with them afterwards and they were saying like people are rarely asking them for their opinions right. and sort of and, and Brookdale was really delighted to be able to sort of showcase that they had sort of these talented people who were then, you know, giving back to the community. Mm-hmm. Uh and so I think we're gonna see more of those those kinds of things in the future
0: mm-hmm. yeah I think you're right and yeah harnessing the talent is such a great area to, to so, so rather than again you know sidelining um, um, into into some sort of medicalized silo you know continuing to have you know growth and contribution and purpose all the way through the life course and flourishing that's that, that's key and you know there's a number of ways to do that and at uh, the, the, the individual level but also as designers um there's a huge design challenge and an opportunity i think um for thinking that through and um something we're happy to be involved in just out of interest what's your own later life um living scenario have you thought that far ahead um
1: it's funny when i talk about uh started i start talking about what i do uh to friends of mine um, they cut me off and they say, you know what, I've got a great idea. What we're going to do is we're going to buy a chateau in France and we're going to do it up and we're going to all live there uh, together, have have services. They, they seem to have thought about it more than I have. Right. It seems to be a thing. So, Aged disgracefully together. Yeah, exactly. So I do think that there is a um, – there's a, an – missing opportunity for people to come along and say like this is how you create that chateau and how you run the services and how you you almost like it, build a brand and so I, I I would love to be living with uh, my peers but also living in an intergenerational environment right. um, and creating uh, a life that is also fairly mobile I can't imagine um, being in one place for too long sure so having the ability to uh, to jump around. Um I was uh, speaking to some folks last week in Canada and they were saying there's uh, a couple of models who are sort of doing a it's like a timeshare or a sort of a, the ability to go and spend time in other places and other um properties. Uh, I think the I think innovative groups will start to go, Hey, let's let's get together, let's have yeah. some kind of card that allows you to to spend some for months here and some months there. Um and I think something like that, that I could also be productive yeah. um, throughout my life. I want to have somewhere that allows me to fulfill my dreams of uh, when I'm 80, the same as my dreams when I'm you know 46, as I am, and sort of creating some um, uh, ability for me to connect uh, with other people in the community um, and to feel that I'm providing contribution because I also don't want to be bouncing around too much, I also want to be rooted in mm-hmm. the community. So, yeah. I think there is some, some tension there personally because mm-hmm. I am interested in what's happening around the world, but I also, you know, am aware that um, I think a, a meaningful life is also one way you connect locally uh, mm-hmm. and with the community. And so, I'm looking to uh, innovators like you to, uh, to help me live a life like that.
0: Well, that's no, a challenge that we're 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 happily taking on. And you know, if you asked, to, to your point, if you if you took a poll of, let's say, we walk out of here in 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 the studio in Soho and we go in the nearest pub, which is quite likely, um, if we go in the nearest pub, and you did a poll of everybody in there and said, what's your ideal scenario for later life living, they'd all they'd predominantly give a, a version of that answer. I'd love to get a house and live in it with my friends, and that's actually a model. You know, there's a great movie about it, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. There's something to be said for um, intentional and creative um, living situations, and but that requires a level of intention. It requires planning. I don't think some people are, are starting to do it organically, just getting together. Um, and I think there is a set of services and potential opportunity for people to, to help people to organize like that, absolutely. Um, and the, 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 other, the other reason why that's a good thing um, is... Social capital becomes, as you know, increasingly important. Um, I mean, it's your you, your relationships with the, with your family and friends throughout your life are important, but uh, perhaps as we age, they become more important because you 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 we 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 might not be as close to our children if indeed we have children because of transport and technology, and so by um, organising early on, on a, a lifestyle based choice to be with people that social capital you build up you can actually go through the age continuum and the the later stage um, continuum together rather than the current scenario where people you know choose to age in place because they don't want to go into a medicalized hospital setting and aging in place is good but has some false positives around the physical environments of houses perhaps not being set up and perhaps dangerous and leading to falls and also the risk of social isolation but if you leave it too late you know there's a trigger and and, and you can have that fall at home and and end up in, in in a nursing home where you don't know anybody and you haven't made any friends and you're under duress and it's just it's just not a, a great scenario and unfortunately that seems to be um the current um the current um situation for a lot of people so I'm, i agree with you there's Um, Some thought required, and there's a lot to be said for for forward planning and and organizing and and getting together with your tribe or whatever your tribe is, but doing it early. I think
1: the continuum word you mentioned is super important and also a challenge, frankly, for you and for others as as businesses and business owners, which is so much easier to have boxes, to be able to say that we do this, this is our building, this is the beginning and the end of it. Whereas I think reality that it butts up against is that people – are evolving over time in their needs and their interests, um, both as sort of health uh, conditions evolving, but also their social interests and their level of interest in engaging with the world. And I think there is a role to play also for the towns and cities that we live to not only build social capital, but social infrastructure, meaning... And there's a, there's a great book that I recommend, uh, Eric Kleinenberg uh, Palaces for the People. So okay. talking yeah. about. We'll li- put that in the show notes. Yeah, libraries, um, for example, as a really great source of inf- social infrastructure. You know, Carnegie gifted 2,000 libraries to uh, America. And, and unfortunately, many both in America and here in the UK, we're seeing them shut down. And these are fantastic places that bring people together. And we sort of need these. What might be called liminal spaces between sort of that are very on the edge of um, people having private lives and social lives. And I think if you can build something that, you know, hopefully we still have libraries, right? But in, in there's a need for that kind of shared public space and allowing people to work together, whether it's on a, allotments or whether it's, you know, in, in, in just sitting in, in a town center, that kind of sensibility, that kind of, um, purpose that it provides people where they have social connections frankly you see it in in, in the greek villages and the italian villages yeah. uh, which unfortunately are hollowing out now in terms of number of young people are leaving but there's that model that if somebody can capture it, it can create um, the continuum that allows people to have more or less um, services and social support and health care when they need it and doesn't lock people into any particular business model i think that's going to be a that's going to be a raging success.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, we've got to start to think about bringing this around full circle now. And um, you know, there's a concept that we're interested in at the moment uh, called flow, and we've spoken about this in the past. And yeah, you know, it's 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 a it's a good concept when you're um, trying to help people to reengineer and repurpose, you know, for 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 greater success at, at any point in their lives. And certainly, you know, some people who are a midlife now are trying to to see um, where where flow might be for them but you know you clearly love doing what you're doing you know it's, it's 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 inspiring to be around it the success is great what 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 is it that gives this thing meaning to you and when the magic is happening how does it feel
1: yeah that's an interesting piece I in this re- report we're just uh doing about the future of learning I had a very interesting conversation with some folks that Telefonica, who are building a a moonshot factory um, called uh, Alpha, and uh, this very interesting guy was saying that they done have done research, and they figured out that the future, the optimal state for learning is when you alternate between going to flow and going to a state of optimal confusion, which they call this sort of idea of wow, where you're really stuck, you really don't know what you're doing, and and you're sort of you feel you're completely out of your depth. So, I think that's that to me struck struck me because you only get flow for a certain amount of time right it's mm-hmm. It's unlikely that you live your life in flow because otherwise it starts to become normal and I think there is this um the peaks and troughs, and that kind of gave me a bit of a realization that actually those troughs when I'm confused and I'm struggling, whether it's to figure out some you know aspect of a spreadsheet or a business model or some uh, strategy recommendation, or to really understand what's motivating some of my colleagues, and issues how to deal with interpersonal stuff. That's also what I look for, and that's also how I'm <clears throat> trying to live my life. So the flow piece comes, I think, as a as a, um, a little reward for the state of optimal confusion. And uh, for me, uh, a good example, if somewhat sort of pedestrian, is an event. You know, we've been having these big events uh, every year. The last few years, a um, lot of work, a lot of frustration going into them. As anybody who's run an event will tell you, there's all sorts of mechanical, you know, stuff that goes in. Lots of, uh, lots of, of tedious. I remember a couple of years ago, you know, up until two a.m. the night before the opening of our conference, stuffing name mm-hmm. badges. You know, this is sort of, this is not what you think about the glamorous stuff. But then the next day, you get up on stage and you have this real energy. And I sort of see my job as as a conduit of energy, of uh, connection, Mm -hmm. essentially. And so having people, having brought people together who wouldn't otherwise meet that can then connect and do interesting things and do impactful things is what's flow for me. And it's when I almost also sort of disappear from the stage and to be able to point to others and to just become invisible because the whole system is working. And when I sort of the stage, I say that in a more abstract sense where I kind of don't want to be the person who is connecting people on email all the time and to be, you know, having an overflowing inbox or sort of to feel that I'm not getting back to people because I just want to be able to step away and let the system take over and for those things to happen. So... I'm looking forward to that, and I think with our new you know, pl- uh, platform, it'll allow people to connect more effectively together, and I'll be able to sort of take a step back to, to not be the bottleneck uh, anymore, and I'll sort of look for other areas to then dive into a state of uh, optimal confusion.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're right. There's some great themes in that, and you know, having finding, finding work that um, gives you a sense of purpose is, is, is a critical ingredient. Um, I think that, and this is a, a theme that's come up through through the conversations on, on the podcasts. You know, the, the giving giving yourself permission um, at any age to go into confusion, giving yourself permission to go and experiment and play and try new things is a huge part of it. And, and sometimes, as we age, our relationship with risk can change. And and it's one of the common themes I'm picking up that's that's really important to try and achieve flow. Like you've got to really throw yourself into it. And 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 you're right, it's a position where you you're just about hanging on, you're just about doing it, uh, and you know, it's a bit like surfing. And and that and, and there's a there's a great sort of um methodology there. And I think there's that's that, that's something that can um that, that could be applied to each to us each as individuals. Um, that's why it's as a concept we're interested in. And, and as designers of programs, how do we come up with programming that allows people to, you know, be curious and experiment and play and, and push themselves? Because that's when you, you really stretch and grow. So um, uh, it's great to hear what you achieve with um, with with aging 2.0. I mean, you know, almost 100 chapters, perhaps 100 chapters now because they're opening so fast. One could have opened since we've been chatting, um, you know, three four thousand startups probably at least in the database from all over the world you know, an amazing um, um ecosystem and community of people who just care about enhancing the lives of older adults that, that you've you've pulled together and and then uh, you know probably a 100 perhaps 200 alliance partners corporates that want to be innovation forward and want to be part of the conversation so it's phenomenal and um, perhaps I've summed it up, but you know, legacy is a big, a big area for us. And, and you know, thinking about legacy and um, you know, and, and 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 you know, really trying to work out what what are what your own legacy could and should look like a, allows you to make choices around uh, you know how you want to how you want to live and who you want to do it with. But um, on on legacy, how, how would you how would you like your legacy to, or what would you like your legacy to be? And what mm-hmm. are they going to write in the sky when when Stephen dies? <laughs>
1: It's um, it's a great question. It's not it's something I have a super easy answer for, but I do, do think there is something about putting people and connecting people who wouldn't otherwise meet. And I think what we've seen with Aging 2.0 is you know, we've been part of it. There's certainly other sort of mega trends around tech and aging that have been happening is that we've seen a bunch of new people come into the space to looking to solve big hard problems around aging that wouldn't i think have been there before and i think we've given them opportunities uh to grow uh and for them and themselves to flourish so i think it would be the idea that we build something that allows uh, other people to connect
0: and other people to flourish yeah i think it's fantastic and you've certainly started something remarkable um and you know coming towards towards the end now, so um, you know before I, I go into the last couple of questions, where can our viewers and, and listeners where can they find you online?
1: good thing is that we are uh, relatively uh, easy if you look at aging 2com a g i n g two dot com American Spelling um, and all the information is up on the website uh, as well as uh, our Twitter handle aging ng2o um, and my uh, Twitter is at SDbj
0: fantastic that's great and we'll also put that in the show notes and so um, just to, to, to wrap up now and sort of give you an opportunity to pass on any final words of, of, of wisdom you know it's been said that search engines are, uh, are good at coming up with answers but a wise sage asks the right question. Now you know this is a show about flourishing um, throughout the life course and leaving a legacy. Um, perhaps what's what's the one question um, we should all be asking to get started on the right path?
1: Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's probably a cliche I suspect you might have had it already. But especially, I think, interesting for a show like this is to ask if you're not 80 what your 80-year-old self. Would do in any situation that you're confronted with. Um, I think there is incredible wisdom, incredible maturity. I just think back to my own grandmother, who I always sort of held up as a high watermark when it comes when it comes when it comes to thinking about the right thing, uh, having a, a moral purpose. I think in today's world, it's ever more important that we develop our own north star and that we don't rely on others uh, we can't rely on politicians we can't rely on social media we have to sort of make our own um, decisions and I think so often we actually have the answer already inside us and I think that 80 year old self uh, of mine is 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 constantly talking to me and constantly giving me sometimes admonishing and hopefully sometimes also giving me a, a pat on the back but I think that's a, that's a friend for me for life. And I think it's something that we all have. I think looking inside ourselves to find that person is probably a useful exercise.
0: I think that's a, a wonderful way to, to, to wrap it up. And what a great lens to, to to look through. We actually haven't had that answer yet. And so it's a a, re, a really good way to uh, to think things through. Um, Stephen, um, you've been a wonderful friend. You continue to be, you know, you've been a great supporter of, of, of us, of me, of my family, of the wild. We're just getting started. You know, there's a great journey ahead for us all. And um, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I can't thank you enough for your constant support and what you and the team have achieved with Aging 2.0. Um, thank you very much for, for being on Walk on the Wild. So.
1: Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you, Chris.
0: Thanks to Stephen for that great conversation. Really enjoyed chatting with you and for the friendship and all the advice and guidance you've given us with the wild. Looking forward to plenty more. Congratulations on your recent wedding as well. You can find Stephen on Twitter at sdbj and you can find us at wildpeople.com or on Instagram at wildpeople. Thanks for listening and stay wild.